I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Our wonderful music leader, Melody Griffin, is, is missing this morning because she had an accident on the way as she left her house today to come here uh, in the garage. A ladder fell on her and uh, caused a laceration in the head area. Uh, she was taken to the hospital, two-inch cut, which was closed uh, with clamps, and she never lost consciousness, thankfully. Um, but uh, I want you to join with me right now as we pray for her. Gracious God, be with uh, Melody and Dan and the family. Uh, we pray that, uh, that her uh, injury is minor and will heal quickly and completely. And in the process, give them your special peace and grace through Christ our Lord. Amen. My message today is uh, about one of the most important commands that Jesus ever gave. You must be born again. And in the midst of my message today, I'm going to be including three testimonies from members of former churches of mine with their permission to share about the experience of being born again. I told you several weeks ago that an argument for Christ is not nearly as powerful as a testimony for Christ. And so each one of these uh, witnesses, three of them, will, will be uh, offering through me testimonies uh, for the experience of being born again. Our scripture today from John chapter 3 is that famous conver conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nic John 3, 1 through 8, and if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can somebody be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> take, take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Oh, take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, 
nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. In my former church in Myrtle Beach, I had a close friend named Irv Ethel. Irv's in heaven now. Uh, he was a World War II fighter pilot. And even 40 years later, if the weather was even moderately cool, he had to wear gloves because the, the nerves in his fingers had been permanently damaged by flying at such high, frigid altitudes. Irv shared with me that for much of his adult life, he was just a lost soul. Uh, he, he told me that his language was littered with profanity. Uh, he broke many of the Ten Commandments. He had no relationship with God that was meaningful. He was just a lost soul. And then something absolutely wonderful happened in Irv's life. And he wrote me a note about it. This is what he wrote. Next Easter Sunday will be my fifth anniversary as a born-again Christian. I'll never forget the great feeling and peace of mind. The sermon of that day put God's arrow right through my heart. But friends, that sermon did not cause the new birth of, earth, of Irv. Neither did Irv create his own new birth. But when Irv repented of his sin and claimed faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He placed himself in the bullseye of God's grace. And God worked a miracle called new birth and made earth better than brand new. Our first birth, of course, that everybody has is natural, most of the time in a hospital. The second birth is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot cause it. But we can place ourselves in the bullseye of God's grace and then the Holy Spirit becomes the obstetrician of new births. Then our sin is forgiven, our salvation is guaranteed, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and minds. We become new people, born again, better than brand new. We become what the Bible calls in the Greek, evangelion, which means Good news people are good news speakers. Now, I know that the words born again, evangelical, have become jaded and shopworn in recent years. And I, sometimes I hear people on television uh, almost use it as a put down to call somebody a born again Christian. And I suspect that most Americans would have a hard time defining what is an evangelical. And you know, there may be even some confusion about that up in cold, cold Iowa this weekend as they prepare for the caucuses tomorrow in the beginning of the presidential campaign. Uh, reputedly, there are a whole lot of evangelicals in Iowa, and the press is trying very hard to find out for whom most of the evangelicals are likely to vote. And there was an editorial in Friday's Wall Street Journal written by a professor at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, and he sought to define evangelical. And he noted that some years ago, 
uh, when Jerry Falwell was leading the so-called moral majority that many Americans began to think of evangelical as a political term. Another way to say white uh, Republican conservatives. But the professor reminded us that Jesus defined evangelical differently. Jesus defined it as being born again. And the professor also pointed out that from a global perspective, most born-again Christians are neither white nor American. An evangelical is simply a person who can say, Jesus Christ has given me new life. Jesus Christ has changed my life in significant ways. Jesus Christ is doing something wonderful in my life. That's an evangelical. Now, one of the awful things about many mainline churches today is that they no longer say, you must be born again. Some of them don't even talk about it. Uh, some seem to imply that, that God's okay with you if you just support the church and behave yourself. But that's not what my Bible says. No. Uh, I mean, hanging around the church no more makes you a Christian than hanging around the golf course will make you a Scottish Scheffler. No, 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 no. And John Wesley, our Methodist founder, put it even more bluntly. He said this, go to church twice a day, go to the Lord's table every week, say ever so many prayers, hear ever so many sermons. Nevertheless, said Wesley, you must be born again. You must be born again. I must be born again. We cannot be happy and holy unless we're born again. Now, I'm so thankful to God that many of you have experienced the miracle of new birth. And for some of you, it was many, many years ago. And my message to you is treasure God's work in you. Grow in Christ. And for goodness sakes, lead others to the source of your new birth. And I also know that in every congregation, there are some who have not yet been born again. And perhaps God sent you here today, either in person or online, for the express purpose of experiencing new birth. It can happen to you today if you're humble, repentant, and willing to trust God. Look with me now to our scripture of the morning, John 3, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus was a big shot among the Jews, a prominent religious and political leader. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. This was the 70 Jewish leaders who really ruled Palestine, both from a civil and a religious point of view. He was also a Pharisee. That's the most religious, deeply religious sect of the Jews. And really, when you think about it, it's amazing that Nicodemus, who's a member of who's who in Jerusalem, would come to talk with Jesus who was regarded as a rustic, itinerant, disreputable teacher. Just amazing. 
And he came to Jesus to see Jesus at night. Why? It's obvious. It would be politically embarrassing for him to be seen, big shot, with somebody like Jesus. It would hurt him uh, politically uh, with those who respected him. Uh, it would be a little bit like North Korea's dictator, Kim Jong-un, going to Rome to seek counseling from the Pope. Now, it might do him good, but it would not help him with his communist friends back in North Korea. Um, Jesus seemed to acknowledge that some of the legitimate things we do, uh, we just as soon do secretly. And Jesus had no problem with Nicodemus coming to see him at night. I remember an example of something like that. When I was a child, my older sister and I had whooping cough at the same time. And I tell you, for about a week, our house was a mess. 24 hours a day, hacking, coughing. Nobody was getting any rest. Papa, a Methodist preacher, uh, was getting desperate. Somebody told him that uh, you could treat the symptoms of whooping cough with a mixture of whiskey and honey. Now, Papa was desperate. There must be no more uncomfortable person on earth than a Methodist preacher in a small town looking for a half pint of whiskey. <laughs> Unless it's a Baptist preacher looking for the same thing. <laughs> and I know if Papa could have found that item at night under cover of darkness, he would have surely gone there. I mean, his errand was legitimate and above board, but he just sure didn't want it publicized. Same with Nicodemus. And notice that Nicodemus addressed Jesus respectfully and acknowledged that uh, he was doing something that was God work. But in verse 3, Jesus cuts right through the social niceties and says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now let's dig into that. Let's try to understand what Jesus meant. Jesus is saying that every person in his or her natural condition has a corrupted heart, believe it or not, even from birth, even though those precious babies look so wonderful and are so sweet, every one of us has a corrupted heart. We've got a sin heritage wired into our DNA, and it's traceable all the way back to Adam and Eve. And... If you want to see symptoms of this fact, they're everywhere, but I'll mention a few. Why do we sometimes use and manipulate other people, even the people we love the most? It's our sin heritage. Why do we find forgiving other people, particularly some people, so hard? It's our sin heritage. Why is it so hard to shed some of our racial prejudices? It's our sin heritage. I mean, the Lord knows we sin virtually every day by thought, word, and deed. You know that. You're honest about your own condition. You know what? It's a frightful thought. But if all of our hateful and lustful thoughts were printed and published in a newspaper, We'd have to leave the state. You know, we're sinners. And if you're not sure you're a sinner, ask your spouse. <laughs> and if you don't have a spouse, ask a truly honest friend. 
In, in verse 4, Nicodemus replies, what do you mean be born again? Uh, how, can you, how can somebody return to their mother's womb and experience birth again? He was thinking physically. Of course, Jesus was proclaiming a spiritual truth. Uh, Jesus was trying to explain that our first birth, which everybody has, makes us children of Adam with all that involves. We are tainted with sin, deserving of God's wrath, the Bible says. And no amount of education or discipline can change that. Our old nature. All, our only hope is to receive a new nature from God. And in verses 5 and 6, Jesus gives more explanation. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. What did Jesus mean by water and the Spirit? Well, when he mentioned water, Nicodemus would have probably thought of John the Baptist down at the Jordan River baptizing people in that water uh, as a sign of repentance. And surely repentance is the first step toward new birth. But the real emphasis here is on the work of the Spirit. Uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but someone is coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The real heavy lifting in the new birth experience is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the obstetrician of new births. When I was serving uh, the church in Memphis, uh, we had a uh, retired dentist named Tom Shipman. And uh, I had not been there long before Tom came to see me. And he said, Brother Bill, I want to share with you my experience, what's going on in my life. He said, for, for, for much of my early adulthood, I was a complacent churchgoer. That's what he called himself. He said, I was a kind person. I gave to the poor, especially at Christmas. Uh, I was vocationally successful and indeed affluent. But he said, really down deep I was miserable. I had no relationship with God. He said, I like to gossip and particularly to criticize preachers. He said, every Tuesday I would go to the country club and play golf and drink with my friends. He said, I tried to make myself happy by buying stuff. He said, there was one year when in that single year, I bought four new cars. And he said, they made, each car made me happy about as long as the new car smell lasted. Well, Tom had a devout Christian sister who pestered him about going to this Christian layman's conference held every summer at Lake Junaluska, North Carolina. And for a couple of summers, Tom would beg off and uh, give excuses. No, I can't do it. But finally, just to get her off his back, he agreed to go. So, Tom said he put his golf clubs in his Cadillac, and he packed a Bible and a bottle of vodka. And off he went to Junaluska. And he said at Junaluska, he listened to two laymen tell their story and Tom said, I'm a good judge of people, and I listened to them and watched them, and I knew I was seeing truth, authenticity, and I saw in them peace and joy that I wanted and wanted desperately. 
Well, there was a Christian layman there at Junalaska who befriended Tom. And they began having conversations. And Tom said one evening they went for a long walk around Lake Junalaska. And Tom poured out his heart to the guy and told him his true condition. And Tom said, I'll never forget his reply to me. He said, Tom, I'm afraid if you were to die tonight, you would bust hell wide open. And Tom said, I knew he was right. And he said, when I went back to my hotel room, I got on my knees by my bed and I prayed this prayer. Please, Lord, forgive my sins. I want to give as much of myself as I can to as much of you as I can understand. I beg you to be my Savior and Lord. Amen. Instantly, said Tom, I knew that God was doing something wonderful in my heart. Something strange was going on inside me. From that night forward, I have been a different man, Tom, Tom said. And then he added, that change happened some 30 years ago. And since then, my walk with Christ has simply gotten sweeter and deeper. What happened to Tom Shipman that night at Lake Junaluska? It's obvious he was born again. He became better than brand new. Now, I suspect that when Jesus talked with Nicodemus about being born again, uh, he saw a puzzled look on Nicodemus' face. And so Jesus probably looked around for an, uh, an illustration that would help him explain it better and perhaps then there was a wind blowing through the trees and you could hear it rustling the leaves and Jesus sees that as an example and said Nicodemus think about the wind think about the wind Nicodemus the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from where it's going that's the way it is with everyone born of the spirit like the wind there is a sovereign spontaneity about the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, new birth cannot be manipulated or programmed. No person makes it happen. It's a work of God. And the expressions, the experience of being born again is so unique to each person. For some people, the experience is as sudden as it was for Tom Shipman. But for others, it's a gradual thing, maybe lasting a year. For some people, the experience of new birth is, is emotional. They want to shout, sing, hallelujah. And yet for others, the experience is as calm and as tranquil as an evening sunset. God works differently and uniquely with every person. And, you, and nobody is so lost as to be beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work in the most unlikely places and the most surprising people. Let me give you an example. Uh, the Marion uh, Prison, the Marion Institute of Corrections is in Marion, Indiana. And it's a maximum security prison where the, the worst criminals in Indiana go. And the leader for years in there was a man named Al. Why was he leader of the inmates? He was the toughest guy in the prison. He was in for murder, serving a life sentence. The warden of Marion uh, prison happens to be a Methodist woman 
And she decided one weekend to invite this Christian ministry called Kairos to spend a weekend serving the inmates of the prison. That weekend, two miracles happened in regard to Al. The first miracle was he decided to attend Kairos. That shocked everybody. The second miracle was that during that weekend, Al was profoundly converted, born again. Today, at the Marion Correctional Institution, Al is the official leader of the Christian community there. Now, there's only one way to explain that. The only rational explanation is that he was born again. Al became better than brand new. Jesus said, you must be born again. That means you can't be saved and go to heaven on your parents' faith or on your church attendance record or on your good conduct medals. You must be born again. And though you cannot make the new birth happen, you can place yourself in the bullseye of God's grace. How do you do that? Three simple steps. One, admit to God that you're a sinner. Two, believe that when Jesus, the Son of God, died on that cross long ago, he paid the penalty for your sin. He died for you personally. And third, in gratitude, invite the living Christ to rule your life. That's it. Three simple steps, you're right in the bullseye of God's grace. And God will not disappoint you. Jesus assured us that whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. When I was pastor in Memphis, uh, a woman named Frances made an appointment to see me one day. She was not a member of the church. I did not know her at all. Uh, she began telling me her story. She was 45 years old, divorced with a grown daughter. She ran a successful florist business. And this is what she told me. She said, I used to be a regular churchgoer, but my husband was not. So I fell into the same non-church lifestyle. After we divorced, I felt like a failure and somehow blamed God for part of it. I have been a dissatisfied, unhappy person for a long time. Then, just a week ago, I had a dream that was more vivid than any I have ever had. God spoke to me and said, Francis, I have wanted to make your life good for a long time, but you have always kept me at a distance. Why don't you let me help you? Francis said that when she woke up, she called our church and made an appointment. She said, you were the only preacher I knew because I sometimes watch your church's message on television. Well, the Lord led me to just take Francis by the hand and ask her to repeat a prayer after me, line by line. And this is what we prayed. Lord, I can't make life good by myself. In fact, without your guidance, I mess things up. But you love me anyway. You reached out to me in a dream. Even more, you died on a cross for my sin. I'm going to trust you as my Savior, 
and invite you to be leader of my life starting right now. Amen. Francis repeated that prayer after me line by line and I saw tears of relief roll down her cheeks. On the following Sunday, Francis was baptized at our church. She said to me, I'm happier and more satisfied now than ever before in my life. What happened to Francis? Ah, she was born again. And if you've ever been born again, you understand her joy. And if you've not yet experienced that joy, today could be the day. Just place yourself in the bullseye of God's grace and he will perform the same miracle for you. January 14, 2024 could be your spiritual birthday. The day you became better than brand new. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and kneel or stand at this altar for a few moments. Either to ask God for the miracle of new birth or to thank Him for having already worked that miracle in your life. I invite you to come as Chan sings about that miracle. It's a song that includes this marvelous chorus that I love. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. Come and commune with God at this place of Holy Graham.